The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by my friend, Adam Levitan, and we talk about everything that you would uh, imagine that we would talk about, a little bit of uh, NFT top shot chatter, talking about uh, Levitan's move to the suburbs across the country. He is going to be enjoying Olive Garden breadsticks for the rest of his life, you know, uh, leaving Philadelphia and all of the, the correspondence chatter and of course some NFL best ball talk as well uh, hope that you guys enjoy it if you want to support the show you can get bonus episodes on patreon.com slash or you can just support the show by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts now let's go ahead and get into the episode all right everyone welcoming Adam Levitan from Establish the Run back into the show it's been uh it's been a little while uh multi multi-time guest though but i know that uh that much like myself you you also are about to be dealing with a big move but yours is even gnarlier you are moving halfway across the country you know following csu ram and uh, everyone else in the dfs community out to denver uh, how's life buddy yeah no it's good i um uh you know i talked about it on the solo pod a little bit you know it's it's after living somewhere for Oh, I don't know. I, I, I consider Penn State kind of Philadelphia. So I got to Penn State in the year 2000 and I got to Philly in 2004 and I've uh, been living in the city ever since. And so I, I thought I'm excited to move. But um, yeah, it's definitely harder and and I guess more emotional than, than I thought it would be to kind of just pick up and leave. And I don't really know anybody. I know I, I know I know Wiggins. I know Peter and um, my wife knows zero people and and we're just kind of full blown YOLOing. And so uh yeah, it's 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 exciting for sure, but but yeah, it's been a little tougher than I thought. Yeah, I've done uh, I've done the move from moving where like literally all my friends from college and everything, like everyone in my social circle, is to moving uh, not as far. I moved from Kansas City, where all my all my buddies were forever, to St. Louis, where I didn't know anyone. And uh, it definitely, you definitely I, see. You're a dad though, so it's a little bit different. But like you, you do find other things to preoccupy your time other than, you know, going to go hang out with your buds or whatever. And then you, you know, you, you were going to end up meeting people, but I moved and then coronavirus pandemic, like four months later. So it was Mm -hmm. like, I had this whole, like, I really just was in my house for like a year because I didn't even have like, you know, during coronavirus, I think a lot of people had like their circle that they're like, okay, this is my circle. You know, we're good whatever. And I didn't even really have that here, which was weird. Um, so are you going to be living in the burbs though in, yeah. in Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. It's the other thing. I mean, we're going from the, living in the city for the last 17 years or whatever to the burbs. So yeah, I mean, our kids are six and three now. And so uh, if, if I thought that it was reasonable to stay in the city with them, we, we probably just would have stayed here in the city. But in terms of burb life, like I think East coast burb life is, is, I mean, I don't know. I assume that it, it's worse or our, our, 
prediction was that it was going to be worse than verb life out West. So, so we'll see though. Yeah. I mean, so that is a, that is a huge transition city life to suburb life. Like you don't even really think about it, but it is, it's like, like, I mean, I got to get, like, if you live in the burbs, like sometimes you got to get on the highway to go get a Gatorade. Right. You know what I mean? Which is <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it is just this giant transition. Cause again, I lived in the city in Kansas city, like in the middle of everything I could walk to, you know, loads of stuff did not have to get in my car nearly as often. And now pretty much if I want to do anything, I got to get in the car, which is like, that is a giant transition people don't think about. Oh, for sure. I'm dreading, I'm dreading that. I'm dreading Chili's being the rest, best restaurant that I can go to with maybe like a side of Olive Garden. So, oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading it. I'm, I'm dreading all that suburb life for sure. But once you have unprotected intercourse, I mean, this is what happens. It starts, <laughs> it, 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 this is what, this is, it sets the wheels in motion. You have an unprotected intercourse. And then next thing you know, you're having Friday night dinner at the Olive Garden. Like that's, that's just, that's just what happens. That, yeah, I mean, I mean, it is. And I mean, hopefully you get lucky. Like in my in my neck of the woods, there are a couple there are like ethnic food places. They're like there's like a really good like Indian spot right down the road. But like mm -hmm. if you happen to move into a burb where that's not an option, like you literally it's literally like, oh, do you want to pick up some chilies tonight? Like, is that what you want? <laughs> <laughs> it's big time dad life if you get unlucky. Yeah, no, I know, man. But you know what? I went into I went into it with my eyes open, man. You know, like I I, I was under no pretense that uh, you know my life was going to continue once you after the unprotected intercourse. So it, you know, this is this is the culmination. Yeah, I mean that is that is basically the um, the mission statement of Gender Labs LLC. <laughs> like you gotta you gotta enter in you gotta enter into the agreement knowing what you're getting into. Uh, so I mean, there are a bunch of things I want to ask you about, but I something I'm very curious your perspective on because you are you're not like a crypto bro like like pre-2021 and the explosion of all this nft everything you were you were not a crypto bro so I think you would have a more interesting perspective on nfts than like the average dude who comes on my show and is like talking about how it's you know utility of the blockchain and everything you know what I mean because I I think that your like your perspective would be more authentic on what nfts actually are as opposed to like oh yeah this is you know an application of the ethereum blockchain or whatever uh first of all how do you know i'm not a crypto bro you don't define crypto bro because this is true people, this is a good uh, point all these you, you people assume that every crypto bro is out there shouting from the rooftops like you are like buy the fucking dip and you know do, going going ham and and this is gonna you know, this is uh, right. The and and talking about it publicly, I, my fear of talking about this stuff publicly is not that I don't believe, not that I'm not a crypto bro, is that I don't want blood on my hands for something I'm not that knowledgeable about. Right. So like, I don't mind talking about fantasy football and DFS and gambling and all that because I really think I honestly I can help people and I think it's worthwhile. I I don't like talking publicly about crypto because I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Now right. I, I agree with you. I'm not a crypto. Bro, but certainly, I mean, in 2016, 2017, I had uh, crypto and, and you know, I, I, I definitely wouldn't consider myself a bro, but I do think that um, this technology will change the world from my limited knowledge of it. So I, I just start there saying that I, I am kind of a crypto to my relative, to my friends here in Philly, like I am the crypto, but if they have a crypto, yes, me, like I'm the crypto bro, you know what I mean? In the DFS space. I'm certainly not. I have not spent enough time like looking at it to be talking about it publicly. If you follow what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's actually, you know what, that's actually a great point is that the, there is, there's definitely a difference between like the crypto 
like the hardcore bros who are like posting charts and have like real specific opinions on, you know, the total supply of Ethereum versus, you know, people who just find crypto interesting, hold a little bit of it. And also we have this, we, you and I have this group DM with Sammy Reed and I, I'll never forget it because it was so goddamn funny. You were like, all these idiots on Twitter who were telling me to buy the dip and that I'm like illiterate definitely have like less than 0.1 total Bitcoin, <laughs> oh. which is so funny. That that tilts me so hard. The louder people are on Twitter about how how much fucking great Bitcoin is, their balance is definitely like 0.01 Bitcoin. You know, and it's just like it tilts me to the fucking moon. But yeah, um, no, I mean, you know, I, I I think that I if you're asking my opinion about the technology, from my limited knowledge, it's like almost a lock to change the world. Like the underlying technology behind. Um, blockchain and behind the nft stuff is like almost a lock to change the world i don't know when i don't know what that means for prices i don't know which coin to buy i don't know anything about any of that i think though that this will change the world and so like i i would hope that um if you're on the right coins or you're in the right projects that you're going to profit but i just don't feel comfortable telling people what to do because I, I honestly don't know well so my my more specific question was do you think NFTs in general, like let's say, let's say other than CryptoPunks and Top Shots, like do you think they're stupid? Do you think they're fun? Like I, I kind of, because kind of where I'm at is CryptoPunks, even if I did think CryptoPunks were stupid, my opinion is so irrelevant because so many rich and powerful people in the crypto space think they're great. I just think Top Shot, like sure, maybe the prices have dipped or whatever, and it's not as exciting as it was in February, but like, I still love Top Shots. I'm still lining up for the pack drops. Like I, I feel no uh, push to like liquidate my stuff at all time lows right now. Like, I just think it's cool. But I, the one, like I, I have found myself just being like, a lot of this stuff is hella kitschy and I don't think it looks good. And I don't understand what people are so um, well, into, you know? I mean- I'm not really an art guy. Didn't you like go on like a DFS trip and like go by yourself to an art museum or something? Yeah, I like love that? I love art. Right. Yeah, like I love like physical art. Yeah, physical art. Right. And and I'm not really an art guy. Like I've been to museums and stuff, and I just like can't get out of there fast enough. I like walk through what should be a six hour museum in Europe in like thirty minutes. I just can't face it. And yeah. so a lot of this quote unquote art, I don't see it necessarily. That doesn't mean that it's not good uh, or worthwhile. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, to me, the narrative behind punks is just like the stone lock. Like, why is Honus Wagner worth a lot? Not because exactly. not because Honus Wagner was a great player or anything, because it's like the first known baseball card or, or whatever. Um, you know, and yeah, I'm in this chat, this crypto punks Telegram chat with like actually the richest people in the world. Like, I, I'm not even like I am feel so poor in this chat. It is. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is pathetic. Like, I can't really say who's in it, but it is it is outrageous who's in it. And they're all are obsessed with punks. And so to your point, like the richest, sharpest people are certainly in on punks. And that's going to keep the price really high. All these punks knockoffs. I don't understand. Like, why are apes or the board apes or the whatever else people are coming out with that are just blatant ripoffs of punks like. I don't see why they have value, but obviously I'm missing something there because like the board eight floor is now like four ETH or something like that, right? So I don't know. As for all the other NFT stuff, I'm I'm I I'm out, man. I mean, I, I just I just don't know. Um, top shots, yeah. I I I uh, here's what the, here's what tells me about the top shot stuff. Like 
people have just gotten so they thought that they were early on something. Yeah. And so they just blindly bought anything and expected it to keep going up to the moon. Like, I don't understand how that was ever the thesis. Like, it's so lazy. Like, you know, DFS is a lot of work and that's why it feels so good when you win. And like, that's why I think you can win in top shot too. I think there's definitely thoughtful ways to do it. I know like the guys at OTM and I don't know other, other places are like working hard to figure out ways to win. And I have a ton of respect for that. I don't have a ton of respect for, I'm just going to blindly buy top shots and bitch when it doesn't 10 X in the next year, you know what I mean? So yeah, but I do think digital cards are awesome. My kids like opening the packs. I think the whole experience uh, is cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I can't, the top shot bitching, I can't take, like, it's just, it's just enough already. I mean, the top, the top shot bitching is not, and it's not even coming from an authentic place. Like so many of the complaints about top shot are just, I saw people on Twitter making these gains. I bought in and I didn't make these same gains. It's, it's literally the same type of complaint as like, uh, oh, you know, the pros, the pros just 150 max everything and they cover all the combos and they win. And then, you know, if, if said person tried to 150 for a week, they would just completely run their account balance out. Like it's just, it's, it comes from a lack of understanding of the environment for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, didn't you sell like a Tyler hero card for like 30 K or something like that? I mean, they're hating you when they say when they're tilted, they're tilting at you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that was, um, I mean, that was the most lucky financial transaction of my life. I bought in, (laughs) I bought in, uh, me and Leone bought the, the Tyler hero legendary, on Jan- January 14th and then we sold it on February 22nd which was literally the stone top of the market and we had had it listed for 15k and Overzet was telling me dude you got to take it down and list it for more and I listed it for 30k and I woke up the next morning and it was gone that same that same moment right now in the marketplaces I think listed for like 7k like it just it literally was the stone top no other sale of that same moment has been close it was Nothing, nothing great. I did. It was literally just luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear you, but yeah, at least you, you were willing to sell and at least you were actually early, you know, there's so much danger in thinking you're early and stuff like this when you're not. And yes. I'm terrible at, I'm terrible at timing, timing, uh, markets and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I try not to even really try. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible at it too. And I think, I mean, I think the secret is probably that most people are very terrible at it. Right. Like 90, 95% of people are. And like, uh, I bet, I bet you probably get some of this, like anytime you post something that is about money or finance or anything, like I know you had um, Jason Strasse on the yeah. show and I bet you got a lot of these comments, like you just got to read the charts, bro. Or like, <laughs> you just got to You just got to do X, Y, and Z or like, check out this thing. It's like, this is going to the moon. And like so many people have, is because everything went up so much over the last year and a half. So many people I, I feel like have convinced themselves like I am a market genius and I'm going to be able to time this and profit off X, Y, and Z forever. Strasse is amazing, man. I, I would really encourage amazing. people to yeah. listen to the two podcasts I, I did with him. I think he has it all in, puts it in perspective to what actual normal people like us can understand. And yeah, I mean, you know, like people, um, think that because they had a good year or two that they're going to they're suddenly geniuses like when when stuff starts to go down it's going to go down fast I have no idea if it is or if it will but you know things can get go go bad really fast and so I try I really try to stick to to what I know and you know Jason actually when he he talked about like not uh paying people to manage your 
uh, funds and, you know, just buy the right. S&P 500 or whatever. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I still kind of think that for me, just like a stone donkey, like with a lot of this stuff, it's worth paying someone 2% or 2 and 20 or, or whatever um, to manage for me because, you know, I'm just, I'm just a mess. And I think for, for a lot of people, um, it might make sense, despite what Jason said, even though I think normally what he says, I, I almost always agree with him. Well, that is, that's a self-knowledge thing too, though, which some people don't even have the self-awareness to know like, oh, like I'm going to get really paper handed if things fall 80% right. or whatever, which is like, I mean, it, it is kind of this uh, like financial truism, like you should buy more when prices go down, you should not sell, but you, you get gripped by this like primordial fear when things start to go down that like, oh, it's going to go down more. And yeah. so you just sell. So like, if you are a type of person that knows like, that sell button is going to look really appealing to me. It, it probably does make sense to pay someone, you know, one to 2% or whatever of your gains long-term because you will, they will save you so much money over the long run. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's just comes back to being able to time the market. It's not, I know everybody knows that you shouldn't sell when things are going down, but they think that they um, haven't found the bottom yet or maybe, you know, and, and they have found the bottom. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just really hard. I would encourage people not, to try to time the market themselves um, unless they're really like in the field. Like, you know, I'm certainly not in the field by any stretch of imagination. That's why right. like, I don't, I really never tweet about this stuff ever. I try, I really try not to like really, really try not to. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will tweet about the coins just because I will never sell them. So it's like, if you take my advice in 10 years, you'll probably end up being good. Like, and not, not even that I know anything. All I know is that I'm a donkey who like, if, if I pulled up on Coinbase Pro, the Bitcoin chart right now, and you asked me to like draw some squiggles to show something, I would be, yeah, I mean, I would just be lost. I wouldn't be even be able to say anything that would be convincing. Um, but uh, yeah, you just, you just hold. And like with stocks, like I have no fucking clue. Like with Bitcoin, I could probably guess at like what is driving some of the prices, like, you know, FUD or China banning Bitcoin for the 900th time or whatever. But like, if you ask me to pinpoint something with like Amazon stock, like literally I would be so fucking lost. I just would have no clue. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, with a lot of things in life, especially with gambling, like, uh, like being bad at something is not a problem or not being that good at something is not a problem. Thinking that you're good. Thinking you're good. And then actually being bad is where people just get absolutely wrecked. So yeah, I mean, I've talked so much about trying to be self-aware and track your data and everything like that. So that, and same with DFS. I mean, you know, it's bad to think that you're good and, and you're actually not, you know, that's like the worst thing knowing that, that you're not that good is, is totally fine. Yeah. Which is, I mean, yeah. And we can, we'll, we'll transition to talking a little bit more about, about gambling things we actually do on, on a day-to-day basis now. <laughs> like this is, I, I have undergone this big transition and I, I'm curious what you have too. Like, I only play cash games for NFL now. So for years I was playing cash games for NBA, MLB, you know, if I was going to play a slate, I was going to be playing cash games for it. And now it's pretty much just NFL because the games are soft and I am, uh, you know, I'm just trying to do the GPP bro stuff of like play the low owned guys, whatever. And it's like, yeah. it, it is insane how bad you can, like how bad you can run for how long. Like, so the, the European championship soccer tournament is going on right now. I, there's probably been about 60 slates, including showdowns and everything. I probably have won on like two of them, honestly, like just this disgusting downturn. And I think I've played pretty decently. Like, I don't feel like I've made, I've, there's been like a couple slates where I was like, oh yeah, this was clearly a mistake. I should have done this. But it's just like, you just got to get very accustomed to losing once you stop grinding the cash games. Yeah. 
you know, like realizing your expectation in large field GPPs when all the money is up top could take lifetimes and it's mitigated by yep. entering 150 and playing every slate and all that. But, you know, like you could play the World Series of Poker main event, you know, every year for 500 years and never realize your equity. There's just so much more variance than people realize. And so, yeah, you know, I, I have never really done the 150 thing. Um, yeah. I didn't play NBA DFS this year because like the lock time was just so insane. I mean, it's just not, yeah, it's not even that, like it would have been fine, but like, it's really a game for people without kids. Yeah. It's not conducive to fatherhood. It's, I mean, seven o'clock is just like, and then, and then the rest of the night, you know, it's just, it's just not great. And so uh, moving to Colorado lock is going to be at five. I I want to get back into playing NBA and I'll likely play one team still because i think it's hard to manage a lot of teams i understand that's probably not right or optimal but yeah i I think paying one team even if it's not like the quote-unquote cash team that i would play playing one good gpp team that i really like uh, i think makes sense too and yeah for for nfl um i've played more and more tournaments the last year uh, or two but not the 150 style i've been playing um three max and yeah single entry entry, three max that that's what i do too 150 for nfl i actually think is harder than nba because the correlations are so much more important exactly exactly yeah and so um yeah i think and by the way when i say single entry and three max i don't mean like one single entry team and all the single entries i mean like for each different single entry turn i have a a different nfl team and so i end up with you know nine ten eleven teams and stuff like that and i think that's that's worked for me but yeah people need to understand what what works for them, I think. Um, but yeah, certainly transitioning out of cash is something I always talk about, but I still get good action, man. I mean, people want to play me, you know? Yes. So I, I still get I still get really good action. I, and it's not the same. And I, and like, sometimes I have to stop myself and realize that like other people aren't getting the same kind of action that, that I get because people just want to play me because, you know, they think I'm famous or they think I'm a fish or whatever, you know, people just, people just want to play me. I mean, the 2020 NFL season was in terms of raw dollars was my most profitable NFL season ever. Now I had a couple good tournament scores, but I was also like 12, 13% ROI in head to head games because the Gil cast has become like this thing. And people are like, Oh, these guys are so bad at DFS. Like I want to play them. And I just get, I get invites from people who are just playing the most like non-competitive teams ever that just like it feels like they didn't ingest a single piece of content all week or touch projections or anything and it's but again to be conscious like the average person listening to this they're taking games against pros who are playing you know thousands of dollars of action it's just so it is it we are in a very privileged position as it comes yeah. to nfl cash i actually games. don't i actually don't accept the invites I, I i don't get that many invites but i actually don't accept the invites i i mean when i say i get good action i mean i just like uh, people take your games yeah I, I post and then or i register for three man or, wh- or whatever and i just end up with with people yeah yeah why well, I, I accept the invites and i will continue to accept the invites because <laughs> it's uh it's been it's been good up until this point um yeah so i can't i can't complain about that the 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 big talk of the streets right now though it's the best ball stuff like this is the most my timeline has ever been hyped about best ball in the earliest that people have ever been hyped about best ball. Um, are you, are you grinding the, the best ball mania? Are you getting in on these? Yeah, I, honestly, I think a big reason is the, the um, underdog has marketing so much push. money into marketing. Yeah. I mean, you know, like one of the things that blew up 
DraftKings and FanDuel and DFS was marketing push, obviously on a much larger scale on television. But, you know, Underdog has put a ton of money into marketing and it's certainly made a huge difference. So I think that's why you notice that. Um, for me, the I think best ball is fun. I don't I, I like it much more than season long. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think taking like one to two hours out of my day to play a $25 best ball is probably not the best use of my time at this point in my life, but it's certainly really, really, really fun. Um, and I think it's also uh, maybe probably more importantly, at least from my perspective, it's like the best way to get ready for DFS season is to be in the best ball streets, like actually having money on the line and competing and understanding like player values or moving and what the field thinks of players and what you think of players and what people are doing um, there and keeping on top of all the news. Cause you need it for your 17th round best ball pick and stuff like that. Like, I think that's really, really important for, and it'll help season long players too. But yeah, for me, like getting ready for DFS season is like the number one priority. And so that's my number one motivation to play best ball. So I'll fire up maybe, I don't know, one, two, three a week. I know there's people playing, you know, one, two, three a day and, and probably more than that um, that are grinding really hard in the best ball stuff. Yeah, I mean, there are there are people who are going to be 150 maxing the best ball mania, 150 maxing the stuff on DK, and then underdog will come out with a five dollar one eventually. Like once they feel good about the fill rate for the for the big one, they'll release the five dollar one. People be uh, 150 maxing those. Um, but I mean, so the one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this was I think you're generally pretty thoughtful on like this is a good spot to put my money. This is a bad spot to put my money. So I'm kind of wondering your thoughts on it relative to ROI. Cause I've heard a lot of different arguments for this. Some people are like, you know, why would I want to keep my money locked up for six months when I could be playing DFS slates with this? I could, this could be, I could park this in the S and P 500. I could park this in Bitcoin. I could park this in Ethereum, whatever. Um, I, my experience with it has been, I've never had a negative ROI best ball season because so many people are playing the game non-optimally. And if you are, if you are relatively cognizant about injuries and things like that, or how the season might play out, you're up on top of the news. You are like a decent fantasy football player. If you put in 50 drafts, it's going to be very hard for you to not realize like a 10% win rate, which well, Mm -hmm. 12% win rate is what you'd have to have to be profitable. Anything past that is a bonus. Right. Okay. So what would you think your ROI, like an expected ROI would be for somebody good on, on 50 drafts? So I, I don't have it. I don't have my stuff up in an Excel sheet and I I've gotten lucky a couple times, like gotten into like the semifinals of some of the big tournaments and stuff. If I had to guess right now, my like career best ball ROI would probably be something like 30%. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you're doing 50 drafts at say $20 each thousand dollars, you know, you, you lock up money a thousand dollars for six months to win, have an expectation of 300, but with a chance to win a million, like it's not certainly not bad. I, I don't think I personally would lock up money that I would have used in DFS. I think I can realize my edge better there and I can compound it more. I can play the 1 PM only. I can play the prime time slate. I can play 4 PM only. I can play main slate and just keep compounding whatever your ROI is in DFS, whereas best ball, you're not compounding it. You're just, it's just 30% over six months. If you think that's what it is, I guess the big difference is in this format for underdog is, I mean, million dollars to first million dollars. I mean, God, just totally absurd. And so if you can somehow, somehow run into a sweat there, it's obviously, obviously worth it. And, and again, I think it does, there's hidden ROI in 
grinding it because you'll be more ready for season long. You'll be more ready for DFS. So yeah, I think there's a lot of positive arguments for it, but for me personally, I would not, if it was going to make me play smaller in DFS, I would, I would not like lock up a ton of money long-term. And I think, I think for me, it's actually honestly decent to have that money locked away in, in best ball stuff. Cause if I have like, if I have a giant account balance sitting on anything, I'm going to feel a little bit more comfortable spewing at like, Oh, I'll play the five, five, five and MLB tonight because I'm like on a good run or whatever. And not that I would cons- like, I don't think I'm a negative ROI player in anything I play, but you're just, when you are transitioning away from the cash games, the swings are much bigger. And so anything to disincentivize myself from taking shots is probably, is probably good, which is like, that is a, a self-awareness thing that I need to be very aware of for, for yeah. my play. One other thing I'd say about the best ball stuff is like, we try to help people optimize for first place. I don't know if that's necessarily your best ROI play though. You know what I mean? Like if you're trying yes. to grind out 20 or 30%, there's a big difference between that and going for first place in the tournament at all costs, you know? So, uh, you know, we try to uh, help people be like, we're going to give you the best chance. What, what our strategy is for the best chance to actually win a million dollars is not the same strategy as here's the best chance to advance, advance to like round two of, underdog but then be drawing dead because x you don't have enough stacks or xyz or or, or, or for whatever reason um you're not likely at all to win the actual million so there's definitely a difference there to think about too that's actually that's actually a great point because uh all of the all of the talk on twitter right now is about herzig shit right the the four running backs uh, you know, I've, and we've seen people talking like, oh, just draft one tight end and draft, get through the bye week, draft one quarterback, like all these wacky things. And those are very much strategies that at the absolute tail end, you know, the 99% mm-hmm. tail that could help you win a million dollars. But that is very clearly not the optimal strategy to winning your 12 man league. That is right. very suboptimal for winning your 12 man league. And so how you're approaching the tournament, the size of your role you're dedicating for these things, all of those should be a factor for how you're drafting. Cause, and I, I also saw uh, Nick Rudman quote, retweet someone from yesterday, the winner of the $5 tournament on underdog last year was just the, the super standard three quarterbacks, six running backs, six wide receivers, three tight ends. And like, right. That that team basically beat the same odds that Herzig's four running back team did. And it and we see this, this is a transition from pretty classic DFS analysis as well, where people look at first place finishes for hints on roster construction instead of you know one percent finishes or 0.1% finishes. And it's so much more efficient and so much less noisy to look at top one percent finishes, but that that is that is almost never found in like typical analysis and so it's it is just this outlier type stuff that is driving so much of the player pool i mean every best ball draft i'm in right now some multiple people are doing the four running back constructions yeah and leone's looked at all this stuff for the top one percent and i agree with agree with you that um what's works a majority of the time does not work every time in other words like if you hit the stones on the micro the the actual players any construction can win. It's not the likeliest to win, but you know, when all the pick, just pick the best play, the best plays bros uh, are going to be right a certain amount of the time, because you can have a three, six, six, three construction and still win. If you just hit the nuts on players, it's just, you know, that's not really a strategy. It's like the, it's like the, the people who are like so pissed at the Sixers because they've been so bad at drafting, you know, like, Oh, just pick the right players, bro. Like it sounds so easy. 
Um, it's not really a strategy, though. Like a strategy that the Sixers had before they fired Hinky was, you know, acquire as many assets as possible and try to spin the roulette wheel as many times as you can to try to hit generational players. It's just unfortunate for them. They only really found one when, you know, they had a chance to find many more. But, you know, same thing with with fantasy football. Like, you know, our strategy in theory should be more important than the micro players. We're not as good as we think we are at picking micros. Yeah. I mean, and that is, dude, that is like the biggest battle for me. I actually, I wonder, you're probably pretty good at this. Like, so big problems I have and have always had in best ball is in certain ADP ranges. Once it starts to get a little bit looser and guys just tend to be available there all the time. So like it doesn't happen in the first and second round all that often, your diversification is going to happen there naturally. But the later and later you get into the draft, the more likely it is you'll have a pick of a range of players. You'll have a clear favorite and he'll pretty much always be available there for you. So for a while this offseason, it was CeeDee Lamb. He's gotten a little bit of juice over the – like he's a third-round pick now. But for a while, I could just take him in the fourth round every single time, and there was no diversification happening because I, I think in my projections, I have CeeDee as like the wide receiver 11 maybe or something like that. And honestly, I think that could be low. Like I think he could just have this ridiculous season. Um, and then, uh, another one is Marquise Brown where like, he's available for me mm-hmm. every time in the ninth round, I'm just taking him every single time. And it, it literally is like a discipline thing. Like just sometimes in these drafts, I just need to take literally anyone else because I'm going to get there. It's going to be September 5th and I'm going to have CD lamb on 60% of my teams. And if he gets hurt, I'm just so dusted off, but I, I bet you are better at that. I bet you are better at balancing your ranges in these drafts. I think what you can do if you want to be high on a player and you think you start be having too much and be like, Hey, well, maybe I can steal him around later. Maybe I can take him wait two rounds and Marquise Brown might still be there in X percent of drafts. And so you still get him, but you get him at a better price, you know? And so I think that would make a big difference for sure. Um, But because, yeah, I I mean, price sensitivity is going to come down to a lot. Like we try to bake in, uh, the market, the ADP out of respect to the market and also respect for when people are drafting that they should be respecting ADP. Also, if you're ahead of ADP on a player every single time, we'll try to get him at ADP. Sometimes try to get him below ADP in some drafts. If you're doing a lot, you might, you're going to get him at ADP or below. And I, I'd feel much better about it. if you were taking CD lamb in the fourth round, when he was there every time, yeah. instead of now you're taking the third round every time, that's totally different. But yeah, I mean, or this early, if you have an opinion, I don't think it's bad. Like if you thought CeeDee Lamb was worth a fourth round pick every time, now he goes in the third round every time. I think that's fine. Like, but by the end of this season, if you're doing 150, you shouldn't end up with 60 or 70% CD because now he's going, we're kind of where you think he should go. Yeah. And I mean, that is, you, you will also see it if you do enough of these drafts. Like I pretty much do one every day. Cause I I'm drafting on like all the formats, like everywhere that you can do them. I, uh, I well, I what I do is when I go to the gym, I register for one on DK, I register for one on Underdog, and I register for one on Drafters, which is a smaller platform. And whichever one fills, I just draft that one and then unregister from the other ones. And also, you will you will note there are like real significant discrepancies in ADP amongst all these different sites, and that'll help you balance your portfolio mm-hmm. a little bit more, which is nice. But you you really can see the ADP switching like almost in real time. Like you'll, you'll be like, 
oh, I'm doing a draft and underdog and CeeDee Lamb just went with the last pick in the second round or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just went with the 14th overall pick in this draft or something. And you will, and then like a week later, you'd be like, oh, well, I can never get this guy here anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, closing line value, just like in sports betting. I mean, I, I think that if you had a portfolio of all players at good closing line value, AK, you took him in the fifth and now on September 5th, he goes in the third. I mean, yeah, that's a print fest for sure. Yeah. All right. We got to talk about something very near and dear to both of our hearts. The return of preseason football. It's happening. We're going to, we're going to have it. Um, So no, no preseason football last year. Now, two years ago, I, and I'm again, curious your opinion on this, but the, the market for these preseason contests was super efficient for a couple reasons. The first being there just are not as many bad DFS players around. There are still bad DFS players out there, but there are you know less people jamming in uh, Tom Brady and Julio Jones or whoever. Like in these mm-hmm. preseason contests, there are more people who know about you know Califani Muhammad going to get all the touches for the Broncos in this preseason game or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, your guys' role at Establish the Run at doing preseason content, you know, being clear drivers of ownership and I, and how did you balance that, you know, as, as a content provider and as a player? Yeah. I, I mean, look, man, like the, if we're being honest, the stakes in business are always higher than higher. In gambling. Yeah. I mean, it's not like action network just got acquired for 240 fucking million dollars, $240 million. You think they're yeah. sitting there, you know, sweating their $500 bets on fucking NFL week one, $240 right. million. Like, I, and that was when I was young. I mean, I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to play 10 and a quarter, no limit. It's the biggest game in the world. I'm playing bigger than anyone. No, the people playing bigger are the guys who are playing 10 and a quarter who that's like an hour's pay for them on yep. their like merger and acquisition job at some Wall Street firm, you know? So in, in business, like it's just the stakes are higher. Uh, the ceiling is higher. And I, I, it took me a long time to really understand that. I used to think gambling was everything and playing poker and playing fantasy and playing DFS was was everything and the ceiling was everything and and so my priority is always going to be uh doing what i can to make the business as good as possible and if that means that my roi i'm playing is worse like um that's okay and and yeah i agree with you that in smaller markets like preseason um by doing articles and shows at etr uh it's going to affect the market a lot um I think that preseason people are still really into it. So, you know, I don't think, like not not just ETR people, like people in general, like they're going to be excited to play NFL DFS preseason again and have it be back. So, so yeah, I I think that it's okay. But yeah, I mean, first you certainly have a point about the smaller markets for sure. It's not, it's not ideal. Well, it's a very, it's a very meta conversation. And this has existed as long as DFS content has existed. And, and again, many people listening to this probably don't even remember a time when like people would roster guys who were out because they were out, you know, in NBA and it came out like two minutes before lock and that, and that guy was like a good play. Um, I, I happened to have like a very random example of this. It was like 2013 and this was back when the 76ers were like the worst team ever. And you would just play dudes against them every single night because they were so bad. And whatever team Drew Holiday was on at the time, he was like the stone nut play of the day, but he was a game time decision. And he was out two minutes before lock. 
this was before fantasy labs. This was before the alert services. I, I think DR did alerts then, but there's no way they would have gotten one out two minutes before lock. And his backup was I, some, you know, some shit bum. And I remember I was, you know, sitting, refreshing a Twitter search. Cause that's what you had to do. You had to refresh a Twitter search. Um, our friend, Scott Malawig had this great, uh, basketball writers, beat writers list that everyone would use back then. And I remember switching him out and I'm sitting there at my laptop, you know, switching him out on FanDuel and on DraftKings and the cards flip over and Drew Holiday has owned like 44% or something because so many people weren't even around to monitor him being out. And that is how DFS used to be. And a lot of, a lot of your, your old cranky DFS dudes will, will gripe about, oh, you know, the edge is gone because of all these content sites and everything. But it, I, I totally agree with you. The stakes are much higher in business. And if you weren't able to get ahead of that, right? Like if you, if you didn't have the foresight to see that there was more money and more utility in the business and the entertainment side of DFS, like I kind of feel like that's on you. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I, I and I've said, I think I said this before on, on your podcast. There, there is some like, honor for sure and just be yes. like fuck off i'm just gonna gamble and i'm gonna make a living and 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 win that way and I, and I think that uh uh there's definitely some honor in that i don't begrudge anybody for being pissed off about people providing uh good content but yeah you know it's just it, it's just it, it's not even like really like a, a factor in my mind anymore like the, the alerts on drew holiday being out were going to come no matter what no someone matter what. was gonna do that someone was yeah. gonna do that just like the teams the nba i mean it was just it, it was it was just inevitable yeah it, it was completely inevitable and it it makes for a better user experience on the sites like who like uh i mean the 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 mexico city uh smoke game between the timberwolves and the spurs being canceled like these are all things that the service providers themselves have had to you know handle in some way and so it's like the the people who are mad at the content providers i think are missing the mark a little bit and and also like for the players who have a wife and kids and a job like they don't Sitting there, like grinding the projections for, uh, you know, Joel Embiid's game tonight. You know what I mean? Like that. That's 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 not a good use of their time. And so they that they were maybe gonna like DFS if it wasn't for people trying to help the common people who don't have time. And they're not. They're not. I don't even view these people who play DFS uh, with real jobs as like common people. They're just as smart and just as good as DFS to everybody else. They just have like a life and kids and a wife and a job. Yeah. And stuff. That. and so like you know it's it's it, those people may have just stone quit dfs and then who knows what would have happened to dfs if there wasn't people helping them so so yeah i mean the, the ecosystem is certainly interesting but but yeah i don't i don't really have any like i don't have any strong takes either way about that i i respect both sides of the whole take on that side on that uh story yeah and i mean the reason why dfs has been a weird marketplace to address is because the time barrier is weird like Phil Ivy could never play one, two, right. They just, it would never be, it would never be worth his time. And this is not an original point at all, but like, it's, it's very easy for super good DFS players to just go click through and enter, enter everything $5 and up. So it just, and that is, that is why, uh, I mean, and you'll know this very well when we all started doing DFS content, it was all about cash games. It was all about, you know, optimal, optimal lineups, finding the best plays at every position. And now, I mean, I, I actually find DFS content to be interesting again, because it, you, if you listen to good DFS content, they'll be giving like 
the thoughts are not, oh, you know, Julio Jones is the best wide receiver play this week. It's uh, if Julio Jones is X amount owned, then we need to be looking at guys who are Y amount owned. And, you know, so it just, it's far more fascinating and you get better content. It's a better entertainment experience. And we're also, you're playing for more meaningful amounts of money. Cause like, look, a lot of the people who listen to these podcasts probably play like 10, 20, 50 bucks a week, but they still have a chance at life changing money, especially yeah. for NFL because first place is so much and you are providing different avenues for them to get there. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, the whole model of like put up a little to win a lot is always going to be popular. NFL is always going to be popular. Like people say yep. DFS is dying in no way, shape or form will NFL DFS ever die it's just too fun to try to take a little bit of money and win a lot on the nfl which is a weekly game which people it's pretty easy for people to follow the news and everything like nfl dfs in no way shape or form is declining uh, or dying i don't think yeah are you bummed about your 76ers was uh was that was that lost in the Hawks? was that a bummer um so like i uh I grew up in Virginia. I was actually a Bullets fan and I, I didn't care too much about the Sixers. I got into the Sixers strictly because of Because Sidney. of Hanky. Yeah. I mean, strictly. I just thought he was so smart and doing the right thing, taking the longest view in the room and in a spot where nobody else was. His whole, uh, every move that he made, I thought was thoughtful and interesting. And like this whole idea of like picking the right players, Hanky couldn't pick the right players. is like so ridiculous and tilting. To me, so I was a fan when they were like really bad. I thought it was so fun when like Jakar Sampson was like playing point guard and Tony Roten was averaging like 20 points a game. That was actually fun, man. Um, now uh, that they are supposed to be good or they were good or whatever, it's not as fun. To it's me. less interesting. Yeah, it's just it's just less interesting. Now it's kind of played out. They got rid of Hinky and yeah, they got Daryl back. But in the meantime, they let the Colangelo brothers and the Colangelo family and Ellen Brand like completely ruin it like in no way shape or form would Hinky have done a ton of the moves that uh Colangelo's and Elton Brand did and so yeah it's just kind of messed up I would have loved to see what would have happened if it would have played out the whole way for Hinky or gone straight from Hinky to Maury instead of this thing where they got Al Horford and they signed Tobias to a bunch of money and they gave up young assets for older assets and all all these other nonsense moves you know trading up to get faults you know just like all these kind of things that that they did um, that I don't think Hinky or Maury ever would have done. So I would have loved to seen it play out the way it was. Um, but yeah, Presti is about to do it. Pres yeah. Presti is he is doing the full Hinky thing right now. Like yeah. the the way that Oklahoma City is playing out right now is, but they're they're doing it with two really good young assets. They have right. they have Shea and they have Dort, and uh, it's something fascinating to me with the Thunder is. What if they're still really bad two seasons from now? It, like, is Shea, I mean, I'm sure Shea will sign his Supermax contract, but I don't know if like 25-year-old SGA is going to want to be playing on a 20-win team. Well, this is the problem, isn't it, that Shea and Dort are going to be so good or, or good enough where they're not going to be in the top three? Like, Hinky's whole thing was like a majority of difference-making NBA champions come from the top three picks. I'm from the top pick. We need as many top one, top two, top three picks as possible don't you think that with Shea and with with Dort they're going to be they're they're so unlikely to pick in the top three 
Well, it's sort of so they they cheated the the back half of this NBA season. They shut SGA right. down with a with a phantom foot injury. I think they probably used that card once. My guess is is that Shea is going to be unwilling to do that again. I, I think they they played it once, but I don't think they're going to be able to do that next season. And then they did the same thing with Dort. They said that they said that Dort had like plantar fascia or something, and they just stopped right. playing him. But uh, like I follow Dort on social media and everything, and he was fine. He was right. <laughs> he was not hurt. Um, <laughs> But the reason why they did that is they calculated that they had some odds, uh, like some pretty decent odds of getting two of the top five picks this year. And so they're going to try and get Cade Cunningham, whether it be trading those two picks to get him naturally getting him, whatever. If they do get Cade Cunningham in this draft, I I could see Presti cashing some of those Clippers picks in and being like, look, we're going to, we're just going to accelerate the timeline. We're going to trade for the veterans. We need, cause they don't owe money to anyone. The the only guy they owe money to right now is Kemba Walker who might agree to a buyout. Maybe they attach a first round pick with Kemba Walker to get him out of the door or whatever. But like a lot of, a lot of their overall plan is going to come down to, do they get the number one pick this year? Yeah. And it's just, you know, I haven't followed the Oklahoma City situation close enough to, to know, but like this whole idea that uh, tanking is bad because we should be trying to be the eight seed every year is just so brutal to me. Like it's so awful in the NBA to be the seven, eight seed every year. It's so bad. Abs- absolutely mind numbing. And so, yeah, you know, the Sixers thing was bad. And, and you know, it, it, I mean, they had no fans. They're making no money for three, four years. I mean, they had no players. They were selling no merchandise. Everybody hated them. The only thing they had going was like this cult mob around Hinky, which was, which was Tony Roden, Tony Roden gang. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I I understand why they, the NBA and management had to pull the plug on Hinky. Like it was just too radical. They weren't ready for it. If Oklahoma city, maybe they'll let it play out longer. You know, Hinky wanted to stay and let it play out. They just, they just didn't have the patience for it. Um, And I understand, you know, to some degree, but it it just, it, it just didn't play out the right way. Yeah. All right. I, I got a couple where we're, we're going to get out of here on this. Just some some NFL 2021 storylines. And we can kind of just roll through these. Do we finally see a team? And there are two teams that I have in mind play a multiple quarterback rotation where one quarterback is in for X part of the game. One quarterback is in for the other. The, the two teams that would make the most sense for the Patriots Cam Newton being the goal line red zone quarterback. And then one of Stidham Hoyer or Mac Jones being, you know, your, your third and long quarterback or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the new Orleans saints with right. Taysom who signed all that money, but Jameis who is, and I, I will, I will not stand for any Jameis is not a good quarterback slander. Like he clearly is. He's clearly, I think a better and more like innovative, probably not the word, more aggressive, more aggressive down the field thrower. Do you, do you think either of those teams actually do it? Saints definitely. I mean, yeah. they were already doing it with Drew Brees, like an actual Hall of Famer. You think they're not going to do it with Jameis? Of, of course, they, they're they're definitely going to do it. Um, and I don't think Sean Payton's going to let Jameis play the way that he played in Tampa when he had that outrageous fantasy season. Like Sean Payton's not going to let Jameis turn the ball over 30, 35 times and still have him out there. Like it's just not going to happen. So I think Jameis will play a more a more controlled game less attempts, maybe even less dot, And that's not great. But yeah, I think Taysom's going to play plenty. New England. Um, I don't know. I, is Cam willing to like come in and be like the goal line back at, from the I, shotgun? I think so. I, I think at this point in his career with everything that happened last year with how he, you know, he got the coronavirus, he he's hurt. He's had a bunch of surgeries. I, I think he would. I think he's willing. That's a guess yeah. though. 
Yeah, I mean, he was awesome out of those like direct snap to Cam, not even think about throwing and just run. I mean, the, around the goal line. I mean, he was awesome at that. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I just don't think New England's going to be very good, and it's kind of going to be a moot point where where neither quarterback's really able to succeed uh, too much. But but yeah, it's interesting. I could also see. Well, I I I I don't think they'll play together as much, but I could see like an even amount of games starting for Trey Lance and Jimmy G this season in, in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's probably true. All right. Travis ETN. Do we buy that they drafted him to be Percy Harvin and not to actually be an every down running back because urban. My- so the thing about urban Meyer is that I think he is an idiot. I don't think he's going to yeah, be a very good agreed. coach. Agreed. Um, and I, I think he is, he is, looks at LaVisca Chenault and looks at ETN is like, nope, this is the dude. ETN, this is the dude I would rather play in that role rather than Chenault. <laughs> so you think they use the first round pick on a guy they're going to like give yes. some like jet sweeps to and like a few yes. targets? I do. I, I, I think that I think Carlos Hyde and James Robinson are going to combine for like 230 rushes and we're all just going to be so tilted about it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I mean, that would be such an egregious use of a first round pick and like trying to recreate like your Florida Gator team from like yes. 1997 is in the end. They NFL got Tebow. Too. Tebow is on the roster. And Te- <laughs> oh, here's a better one. Does Is Tebow on the 53 week one? Uh, I think no. I think no on Tebow. Etienne, yeah, I think Etienne's going to play some running back. I, I think, you know, 140, 130 carries for Etienne. Um, I think he'll get there. It's just so egregious to use a first-round pick and not use him as a running back some. Is his best role as a pass catcher? If you're going to get value out of your first-round pick, sure. But, like, trying to find the next Alvin Kamara, next Christian McCaffrey is so, so, so hard. They have a lot of good players on Jacksonville, man. I mean, how are you going to get the ball to Marvin, Visca, DJ Chark, James Robinson? I not even like James Robinson and Carlos Hyde that much, but we know they're going to touch the ball a ton. And then Etienne also. It's just a lot to ask for all those guys to perform. So um, I like DJ Chark. The rest of the guys, I guess I'm okay with Visca. The rest of the guys, I haven't really been taking much of. Yeah. Um, who is, does Deshaun Watson play in 2021? Because I think this is a huge strategy question. And we don't even have to get into like, the, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? Like any of that. But Deshaun Watson goes in the last round of any best ball draft you're doing. And if he somehow, if he shows up to play for Denver or whoever, like that is going to be a big season swinging thing do you like i i personally think we are not going to see him play i don't think he's going to play in 2021 and my strategy and my projections reflect that and i'm wondering if you have any thoughts on it yeah i I think we use plenty of precedent here with no criminal conviction no criminal charges but enough smoke to where even if deshaun wanted to play um even if the texans were able to trade him because i don't think he's playing for the texans at all it's going to be yeah for sure trade or or release and then sign with someone else. I don't think that Goodell is going to let Deshaun Watson play when there's, you know, 20, 25 allegations out there against Deshaun Watson. So I I would agree with you. No Deshaun Watson this year. It's just really hard to pull the trigger. Like maybe mathematically or theoretically, it's right to take Deshaun Watson with a last round pick in some of these teams where you have like maybe two weaker quarterbacks uh, on a best ball team, but it's really hard to pull the trigger on Deshaun Watson and just be like a really high chance you're going to eat a zero for the whole year. So maybe it's theoretically right in practice. I haven't been able to do it. Yeah. I'm, I am, uh, I'm there as well. Um, 
All right, Rodgers. Who does Rodgers on week one of the season? And and do you think, like many people are starting to think, that he is comfortable enough financially and pissed off enough at the Packers to actually sit out a season of the tail end of his career? You know, obviously he was comfortable enough financially like five years ago. Like that, that it's not that's not even a question. Of course he's comfortable enough financially. I think to me he's getting old. And if he wants to win, then he needs to play now. Um, but man, he's just a strange cat, dude. He's like, a weird, weird dude. That that cannot be overlooked. When the Broncos passed on Fields at nine overall, I was like, oh, it's a lock. They think they're getting Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Like the only way you can pass on Fields to me, if you were the Broncos, was if you thought you were getting Aaron Rodgers for sure. I don't think that that's dead yet. And like every time Aaron Rodgers sits out, like there's more and more fuel. To the fire. The Packers have absolutely nothing to gain by even entertaining calls right now. They want Aaron Rodgers back. And so the most leverage they can have is just be like, fuck off. We're not, we're not trading you. We'll either see you here. Or you can sit out for the whole year. Um, and Aaron Rodgers seems like the kind of dude who just be like, fine, I'll just sit out for the whole year. So yeah, it's, 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 I think there's a really good chance that he never plays for the Packers again. He just seems like that while he was pissed off about Jake Kumaro, dude, like imagine being pissed yep. off that Jake Kumaro got cut. Like it's insane. It is. It is. It is legitimately insane. All right. The Chiefs trade for an offensive tackle. They get Laurent uh, Duvernay-Tardif back. Do you think that the public in general is going to overreact to how bad they got beat up in that Super Bowl and, you know, the, the random departures of guys like Damian Williams and, and Sammy Watkins? And do you think they are still clearly the best team in the NFL? Because that's the opinion I hold. The opinion I hold is that People are like the conversation about the Chiefs suggests that those Super Bowl struggles are very real, even though their roster is going to look very different week one. Um, they're clearly the best team. I, I think where they're thinnest is at actually at pass catch. Like, what if something happens yeah. to Kelsey? Kelsey, who's thirty. I mean, they're they're fucked. If Kelsey if Kelsey gets hurt, they are fucked. And he's thirty two years old, man. And and you know, if something happened to Tyreek, like they're really thin at weaponry in pass catching. And so yeah, you have Mahomes, and he's great. I think Mahomes. Obviously, he's going to be an elevator to guys like Pringle and Hardman and all these guys. But but yeah, I mean, I, I, that's where they're thinnest to me. It's clearly nowhere else are they lacking. So I, I, I think the Browns are better and very good. I think the Ravens are obviously very good. I think they'd be good games, but the Chiefs would certainly be the favorite. I mean, it's not even not even a question. All right. 46-year-old Tom Brady. Is he, is he, does he just look like he did last year? This is the most, this is the, the most absurd shit in sports is that Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl last year is another year older. Like this dude is closer to 50 than he is to 40. And just, just like, everyone's just like, he's just going to be amazing. It's, it is the most unbelievable shit in sports. Yeah. You can probably find articles by me when Tom Brady was like 37 being like, well, no, it's about done. Yeah, and that was like eight years ago. Uh, I just played a tennis match, uh, and I'm 38, and I like still can't move. I played a tennis match on what was that Friday? Today's Monday. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I think maybe we and I certainly underrated last year the effect that supporting cast can have on a quarterback. Just because Tom Brady was bad with right. the absolute dust that he had in New England doesn't mean he was going to be bad with Evans and Godwin and OJ Howard and Antonio Brown and all these other guys. And so they have one of the best supporting cast, offensive line, tight end group, wide receiver group in the entire NFL. And so a lot of quarterbacks would succeed and look really good. Would they be as good as Tom Brady? Of course not. Um, but yeah, you know, he's certainly set up to do it 
again, I mean, their offensive line is awesome. Their pass catchers are awesome. And so they're even getting OJ Howard back, you know? So yeah, it's hard for me to say bad things about Tom Brady. Um, at some point though, it's going to happen. Like he's going to look bad at some point. It's just, it's like timing a market, man. I don't know. It doesn't make he's broken. He's broken every aging, every curve. I record. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he really is like, he is going to be messing up comps for aging quarterbacks for, for the rest of the time. Like we're going to be looking at. Throw yeah. Just yeah. throw him out. Yeah. He, cause he is, he, whatever, whatever Tom Brady has going on, whatever deal with the devil he has made uh, certainly like, I mean, and you know, look, ty, old, old man time comes for everyone. Peyton Manning went from setting records to being benched for Brock Osweiler and not being mm-hmm. able to find a team. Like it just eventually guys can't play anymore. And I feel pretty confident that whenever it happens for Brady, I feel like it's going to happen pretty quick. Like, I think, I think he's just going to come out in a game and we're going to be like, oh shit, he just is not Tom Brady. Like, I, I don't know if it'll be this gradual decline, but maybe that happens in five years. Like maybe this dude, this psychopath is starting NFL games at 50. Yeah. I mean, what happened to Peyton Manning was like, he hurt his neck. I think neck. it was. And then he couldn't, yep. he couldn't throw the ball like 10 yards down the field. I mean, Brady's been so healthy. I mean, other than that ACL tear, I, I can't even think of anything else that he's had. And so to be able to still throw the ball with a ton of zip on these out patterns, the sideline and deep down the field at his age, like, I don't know, maybe I, I think what will happen is it'll be like an injury that he doesn't recover from. Like he gets a hit on the shoulder. And the next thing you know, like he does, he's, he's 46 years old. He can't recover from it, but I don't know, just like falling off the face of the earth, just out of nowhere. I don't know that it, it seems far-fetched at least for this year. Yeah, it seems, it seems impossible. Um, all right, dude, that was great. Thank you very much for your time. Tell people about all the, uh, the cool shit over at ETR. Yeah. You can just follow me on Twitter at Adam Levitan and I'll, I'll link to a lot of stuff that we're working on, but yeah, establish is where it all goes down. And yeah, that's about it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, everyone wish Adam luck as he, uh, ventures off into a cross country move into the suburbs. He's going to need it. Just, uh, think of this dude sitting there at Olive Garden on a Friday night, <laughs> endless, endless soup and salad, endless breadsticks for Adam Levitan in his future. And, uh, we'll see you dudes next week. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.